Go. Good morning. It's, it's great to be with you. Uh, if, you if you have your Bibles, uh, uh, pull them out and uh, go to Titus uh, chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew of, in front of you. Uh, it's going to be on page 938. So over the last couple of weeks, um, we have been discussing uh, doctrines, uh, really for the past few weeks, um, we've been talking about the doctrines that are taught in Scripture, uh, and over the last two weeks, we've been t- speaking about what God has done for us, right? He made a plan to save us. We called, uh, this is called the covenant. Uh, God covenanted uh, to redeem us from our sin, um, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who accomplished that plan. Right? Through his death and resurrection, we are justified. Right? He adopted us into his family. He sanctified us by his blood. Um, and if you don't know what those words mean, go listen to the last two sermons. They will help you uh, in understanding this week. But this morning, we're going to look at the effects of God's saving work. Right? There are, are two things that happen when God saves someone. They repent and believe. They, have, uh, they turn in repentance and they have faith. Right, so I'm going to read our uh, two passages we're going to look at this morning, uh, Titus chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to give some definitions of those two words, repentance and faith, and then by God's grace, uh, we're going to study these texts together. So uh, the Apostle Paul writes uh, to the church in Crete and to Titus, his disciple, uh, in verse 3 of chapter 3, he says this, "'For we ourselves were once foolish.'" disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Dearly Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. We praise you that you have spoken to us. God, you have provided a way for us to come into your presence. God, we, on our own, in our, in our sin, God, we were far off. We were uh, condemned before you. But God, you reconciled us to yourself by sending your son. And God, we come before you this morning 
Uh, we pray, God, that you would uh, help us to understand your word, that we might repent and believe, that we might turn to Christ and trust in him. God, would you help me to teach your word faithfully? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, you may have noticed uh, as we read through those two passages of scripture, uh, repentance and faith are not explicitly mentioned. Uh, but if we, we, if we define repentance and faith, I think we'll see that what the Apostle Paul is talking about um, in these letters is exactly what repentance and faith look like uh, in our lives. So let's look at repentance. And we see repentance mentioned throughout Scripture. Right? John the Baptist, as he announces the coming of Christ in Matthew 3, verse 2, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Apostle Peter, uh, preaching the first Christian sermon in Acts 3.19, says at the end of it, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. And the Apostle Paul, in describing repentance, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, he says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Now, if you look in your bulletin, we have some uh, definitions that are, uh, were written a long time ago in uh, the Baptist Catechism, and the Baptist Catechism defines repentance this way. It says, Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. First and foremost, repentance is a work of God within the believer. Right, we'll, we'll expand on this later as we look at Titus, uh, but God, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of those who have been saved, and as a result, they are compelled to turn to Christ. Right, this turning includes the mind, the emotions, and the will. Right, it's a change of mind. We agree, when we repent, we agree that sin is a sin against God alone. And we agree that it's contrary to God's law, right? We we acknowledge that we are lawbreakers. And it's a turning of the emotions, right? We turn from loving our sin to grieving it and then to hating it. And it culminates in a change of the will, right? Right? By God's grace, we turn from obeying our sinful desires and we begin to obey Christ and his word. Repentance begins in the mind, it connects with the heart, and it's evidenced by an act of the will. Right? It's a turning of the whole person from sin to Christ. So what about faith? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And continuing on in verse three of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the author says this, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are are visible. And in Romans 10 verse nine, the apostle Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And our Baptist Catechism uh, defines uh, faith this way. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. Right, again, we'll discuss this in a moment in Titus, but just as repentance is a work of God, so is faith. It is a saving grace. 
right? Our whole Christian life is a gift from God. And to receive this gift of faith, right, this means that you believe in the gospel, right? Jesus, when he he began his ministry, he said, repent and believe in the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? It's that Christ came. He died on the cross for our sin. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over all things, Right, and the good news is that whoever repents and believes in him will inherit eternal life. Right, and belief in this gospel is not head knowledge. Right? It's not enough to be convinced that the gospel is true. Faith is not an intellectual or even an emotional commitment. Right? James says that even the demons believe and they shudder. Right? Faith is a personal reliance and a personal trust in Jesus. Right, this means that he's Lord of your life. Right, you submit to his authority, his rule. You are completely devoted to him. Right, you are to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, we can't talk about repentance and faith without defining the relationship between the two, right? Because they come as a pair. Right, they're two sides of the same coin. They're distinct, but they're yet inseparable. Right, you can't have one without the other, right? If you repent but don't have faith in Christ, well, that's just behavior modification, right? You might as well go read a self-help book, right? You must have faith. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, we are saved by grace through faith, right? Faith, as Pastor Joey talked about last week, is the mechanism of our salvation. There's no other way to be saved but through faith in Christ, and if you have faith in Christ, but there's no repentance, well, that's just, that's just wishful thinking, right? Faith without repentance is giving lip service to Christ without submitting to his lordship, right? Repentance is what leads us to obey Christ. And James tells us, again, that faith without works is dead. So faith is always evidenced by repentance, and repentance is always evidenced by faith, Right? You must have both. And this is why Jesus himself said, again, in Mark chapter 1, 14 through 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Right? There's no Christian who has faith but doesn't repent. There's no Christian who repents but doesn't have faith. And there's so much more that we could say about this. But the basic relationship is this. They're distinct yet inseparable. So how do they relate to our lives? And this is where we turn to our text this morning. The main point I want to make is that, and if you're taking notes, uh, repentance and faith are for all of life. Repentance and faith are for all of life. If you want to know how to begin the Christian life, you must repent and believe. And if you want to know how to live the Christian life, you will continue to and grow in repentance and faith. So for the remainder of this time, we'll look at these two aspects of repentance and faith, right? At the point of salvation, Titus chapter 3, and in sanctification, right? That's the rest of our Christian life until we see Christ face to face. So let's, let's read through Titus chapter 3, uh, 3 through 7 again. So it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So here Paul is reminding Titus and the church in Crete of their conversion experience. Right? When God saved them, they, they changed. They received repentance and faith. Right? This change was a consequence of their salvation. In verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were once this way. And in verse 5, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. What Paul is implying here is that because of God's saving work in our lives, they are no longer that way. Right? When God, uh, their heart and life had changed. When God regenerates and renews someone by his Holy Spirit, their life consequently changes. Right? It's a work of the Holy Spirit within them. Right? The Holy Spirit renews. He brings us from death to life. The Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit regenerates. He brings us from death to life. The Holy Spirit renews. Right? He turns us from our old life and gives us a new life. And when I say it's a, a work of the Holy Spirit, Right, this isn't in isolation from the rest of the Godhead. Right, our God, as we just sang in holy, 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 uh, our God is three in one. Right, God the Father, he planned our salvation. God the Son, he accomplished our salvation. Right, it says in the text, God our Savior appeared. And God the Holy Spirit applied that work to us at the point of our conversion. Right, these operations are inseparable. But the point here is that it's not because of anything that we did, right? It was because of the goodness and loving kindness of our God. It was according to his own mercy. And for us, that means that repentance and faith are a passive work. Well, what, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at a passage that's very familiar to many of us. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16 It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but inherit eternal life. Now, that word belief is the same for faith, but this believing uh, does not, is is not, uh, if you believe enough, you will be saved. Right? This is the message of the gospel that goes forth to those who hear it, and whoever truly believes in Jesus can have assurance for their salvation, right? They won't perish, but inherit eternal life. When it comes to who saves who, in verse 17, we get that very clearly stated, right? In verse 17 of John chapter three, it says this, for God did not send his son into the world in order to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Like our believing does not earn us anything in regard to our standing before God. Our repenting doesn't either. Right? He saved us because of his own goodness and mercy. And praise God for that. Praise God for that because if my salvation is dependent upon my faith and my repentance, which are half-hearted at most on my best days, I would be doomed. Right? I do not contribute anything to my salvation except for my sin. My faith is weak. My faith is wobbly. My repentance is stained with selfishness. So we see that God causes it. But what does it look like to experience the effects of this salvation? And let's just zero in and look at these words that Paul uses to describe us before we came to faith. Right? He says, we were once foolish. Well, someone who is no longer a fool, they've been made wise. 
Right? Before Christ, we, we knew what our sin was, but we didn't understand that our sin condemned us before a just and holy God. We didn't fear God because we didn't know God. But when we came to know Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Christ became to us wisdom from God. Right? If, you, if you're in Christ, when you came to faith, you saw your sin and you turned from it. You realized what your sin really was. You realized your self-destructive tendencies. You realized your selfish ways because now you know a new way. You've begun to live the right way. You know the good way. You know Christ and his word and it teaches you how to live. When a fool repents, he becomes wise. Paul also says here, we were once disobedient. Right? Someone who was disobedient is now obedient. Right? Although we were foolish, we were not convicted of our sin. We had God's law written on our hearts and chose to sin anyway, right? We disobeyed God's commands. We dug our heels in and we ran after false gods and false religion. But when God saved us, right, we who were disobedient are now made obedient because Christ's obedience has been imputed to us by the Holy Spirit, right? If you've come to faith in Christ, you know the cost of your disobedience, you know that sin earned you a wage, which is death, right? You know what you really deserve. And since God, by his grace, saved you and paid that penalty on your behalf, you now see the cost of your sin is not worth rejecting what Jesus earned for you through his death on the cross. Paul says we were once slaves, right? Those who were once enslaved are now free. We were foolish, disobedient, and led astray because we were slaves to our sin. We actually enjoyed our life apart from Christ. We, uh, Paul says we passed our days in malice and envy. Right? In our leisure time, we, hated, we were hated and, uh, by others and hating one another. But when we believed in Christ, he freed us from the bondage of our sinful passions and he gave us new desires. Right? He took our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. Right? We began to desire holiness and righteousness. Right? If you're in Christ, you hate those lusts that rise up within you. What gave you pleasure now makes you absolutely sick. Right? The Holy Spirit has given you righteous conviction. Right? There's this fire, this longing, this zeal inside of you to honor God in every area of your life and pursue him wholeheartedly. This is the point. There is a glorious transformation that comes when someone has been saved by God. Right? When a dead man comes back to life, when a dead woman comes back to life, we call that a miracle. Right? It's supernatural. It's amazing. Right? If God saves you, you will be changed forever. So the question I have for you is, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you truly repented of your sin? If you don't have faith, repent and believe in him today. Trust him with your whole heart and he will transform you from the inside out. And if you're sitting today, here today and you, you say you have faith, I want you to examine yourself. Is there evidence of repentance in your life? Are you a different person because of God's work in your life? Right? Do you have saving faith? Because there will be a noticeable change. However small it is, in the life of someone who has been saved by the grace of God, right? They will repent and have faith in Christ. Our confession of faith uh, says this of repentance. 
It says, whereas there is none that does good and does not sin, and the best of men may, though the power and deceitfulness of their corruption dwelling in them, with the prevalency of temptation, fall into great sins and provocations. God has, in the covenant of grace, mercifully provided that believers so sinning and falling be renewed through repentance unto salvation. I think that was one sentence. So we looked at repentance and faith at salvation. Well, let's turn to sanctification. Right, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read this text again this morning. If you uh, have your pew Bible, it's on page 919. The Apostle Paul wrote this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Right, the Apostle Paul, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he was reveling in the salvation that Christ brings. And now in the second half of the book, starting in chapter 4, Paul discusses how Christians should live in light of that. Right? Uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? He's encouraging them to work out their salvation in sanctification. Right? One of the reasons why he's writing this is because some of the Christians in Ephesus had begun falling back into the lifestyle uh, and, and were buying into the ideologies of an unbelieving culture. Right? They had not been persevering in their faith. And Paul calls them to walk worthy, right? Some of these Christians had been hard-hearted. They were giving in to temptation. They began to think and act just like the rest of the world. And Paul here in our, our verses this morning gives some instruction. Right? In verses 22 through 24, he gives them a command to repent. He says, put off your old self. And in verse 24, he says, put on the new self. He's calling them to turn from their sinful ways, to continue to turn from their sinful ways and live out their faith. Right? To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. But the old self is the way of the Gentiles. Right? And he describes this in verses 17 through 19. He says, put off your old self. Right? Their minds were darkened in their understanding of God. The Gentiles, their hearts were callous. Right, they practiced impurity. But the new self, in verse 24, right, he says, put on the new self. Right, this is the way of Christ's likeness. It's full of the knowledge of God. Right, it's filled with desires for righteousness and holiness. It's a life of obedience to God's commands. And when Paul gives this command, right, he's reminding them that they have the ability and the responsibility to continue to put off the old self and put on the new. He's, he's calling them to persevere in repentance and faith. And if you're taking notes, the point is this. We have the ability and responsibility to grow in repentance and faith. Right, repentance and faith were gifts given to us by God when he saved us. 
And like every good gift, it's useful. Right? We have the ability to use them. Like think of them like arms. Right? They're useful and they can be strengthened. First, let's look at this ability. Paul says in verse 17, he says, you must not walk like the Gentiles. He's commanding them to put off the old self and put on the new. Right? He's calling them to repent. Right? In salvation, God calls our repentance and faith. In sanctification, we repent and believe because we are now filled with the Holy Spirit that empowers us. Right? If you're in Christ, you have his spirit within you. You have the ability to walk in freedom from sin. You have the ability to choose righteousness instead of your sin. The Apostle Paul describes this in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him, that being Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Right? If you're, you're in Christ, sin no longer has power over you. Right? It's been brought to nothing. You, you have power over sin in Christ. Right? Only Christians can fight against sin and find victory over it. Only Christians can live free from the condemnation sin brings. Only Christians can grow in righteousness and holiness. So, so if you feel powerless over your sin today, if you feel the weight of your sin today, be reminded that when Christ died, he brought your sin to nothing. It has no hold on you. It really has no power over you. You have the ability, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk away from your sin right now. You have the ability to live in the righteousness that was applied to you in your justification. You can walk with your head high and with joy in your heart because no matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you're faithless, no matter how many times you stumble, You have the ability to take the next step by faith because you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. Now, God did not give us this ability for no reason, right? Paul addresses this in verse 17. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Not only do they have the ability to repent and believe, they have the responsibility to do so. Right? Paul is commanding the Ephesian church to continue and grow in their repentance and faith. Because there is a battle going on. Right? There's an enemy that's trying to destroy us. The scripture describes him as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Right? And our, our old self still tempts us. Right? There's these old desires that are still within us and they must be dealt with. Repentance and faith are the means that God gave us to wage war against the enemy, to wage war against our flesh. Our confession of faith says it like this. It says, as repentance is to be continued through the whole course of our lives, upon the account of the body of death and motions thereof, so it is every man's duty to repent of his particular known sins particularly. So what does this look like? How do we continue and grow in repentance and faith? Right? How do we put off the old self and put on the new? Well, the great thing is, by God's grace, he tells us. Right? God gives us instruction on what to do in, in order to strengthen our faith and to grow in repentance. Right? And this is primarily through his word, prayer, 
and the ordinances, that is the Lord's Supper and baptism. We call these things the means of grace. Right? God promises to grow us through these means. Right? If repentance and faith are our arms, means of grace are the weights that we use to strengthen us. Right? If you want to grow, you will lift these weights, and you must lift them. Let's look at the first three I mentioned, the word, prayer, and the Lord's Supper, and then we'll close. First, the word. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus as they go, uh, as he leaves them. He says this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In Romans 10, verse 17, it says this, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we put on our new self through the taking in of, the, of God's word. Right? And this is primarily through the preaching of the word, each and every Lord's day. Right? God is able to build you up in your faith through this means. Right? As we hear God's word, as we read God's word, as we sing God's word together, he's promised to transform our mind and heart to grow us in his grace. So every week we come and we have a sermon. Right, where we preach through a passage of scripture. And normally we'll be working through a book of the Bible at a time, but during this time, we study the text. We observe the text. We show how it points to Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And then in light of that, we talk about how we should live. We call this expository preaching. And as we learn about God and his word, it sheds light on the thoughts in our minds that are contrary to God's word. We learn how our emotions may be contrary to God's word. And we, we see how we might be living contrary to God's word. And at that moment, when the word is preached, when we hear God's word, we have the opportunity to repent. Right? God has promised in his word that his Holy Spirit will give us understanding and empower us to change as we hear the word preached. Second, prayer. Prayer is an act of faith, right? We cannot see God, but we acknowledge him and his sovereignty every time we pray, right? When we ask him according to his will, we are trusting in his promises. Prayer is also an act of repentance. When we pray, we're submitting to him in his will by faith. We, we acknowledge our sinfulness and his righteousness, right? We can come to him and confess our sins like we do each and every Lord's Day. Because 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? God is in his grace has provided a way to himself. And that's through confession. If you're not a Christian, confess your sins and he will forgive you and cleanse you. Right? Salvation is not dependent upon our confession. It's the finished work of Christ, but prayer is the means by which we relate to him. It's the way we are restored to communion with him. Right? It's, it's why we do this every single week. Third, the Lord's Supper. Right? Each week, and we're about to do this here in a moment, we gather to take the Lord's Supper. This was instituted by Christ and is a reminder for us of Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was shed for our sin. And it's also an act of faith because when we take it, 
We're confessing that we uh, believe that Christ died, he rose again, and that he's coming back soon. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26 says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when he comes, we'll no longer need this visual reminder, right, of Christ, but we will actually see him face to face. Our faith will become sight. And that will be a great and wonderful day. Amen? Our confession of faith says it like this. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. It is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed of God, is increased and strengthened. So let's grow up. Let's grow in the grace of God that was given to us. Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's lift the weights of God's means of grace and grow into maturity in Christ. Two takeaways for us this morning. First, this. God in his grace always grants repentance and faith at the point of salvation. It might be small, weak, and indiscernible. And what I mean by that is that we might not be able to pinpoint exactly the point of conversion But not everyone has a dramatic conversion experience, but it's always there. Remember that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains, Matthew 17, verse 20. Second, repentance and faith are given at the point of salvation and mature throughout the Christian life. All of life consists of turning from sin to Christ. And this means that those, one, those who are truly saved will persevere in repentance and faith. And two, spiritual maturity can be identified by the quality of of repentance and faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word, uh, the grace that you've given to us to uh, turn from our sin, God, and turn to Christ. God, you've provided ways for us to grow in our repentance, to grow in our faith. So God, we ask that you would grow us that you would develop us into mature believers, that we might glorify you in all that we say, all that we do. And God, I pray that your gospel would go forth from here, that your, your word would uh, spread like wildfire, uh, and that we may see many people come to repent of their sin and trust in Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.